Hello, everyone, and welcome to Saturn Returns with me, Kagi Dunlop. This is a podcast that aims to bring clarity during transitional times where there can be confusion and doubt. If you speak up and you say what you want and what you don't want, you cannot expect in the same time that everybody agrees with you. My guest today is Stephanie Stahl, a clinical psychologist from Germany and the author of more than 10 books, including The Child in You, the breakthrough method for bringing out your authentic self, which came out in the UK in early 2021. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with shadow or inner child work, it is a psychological term that centers around your learnt behavior, triggers and traumas from childhood. The negative imprints, if you will, which we often internalize and they can hold us back in adulthood, unconsciously shaping and determining who we become. For instance, if a person's need for connection was denied as a child, this can result in the belief that I'm alone. They may grow up to be clingy in relationships or protect themselves by avoiding close relationships altogether. These coping mechanisms or self-preservation strategies we pick up in childhood serve a purpose and it's important as a caveat to say that. But as we become adults, they can become counterproductive or counterintuitive and like I said, often hold us back. But we often lack the awareness to know when the child is actually at play, when the child is the one that's grabbed the steering wheel. So to help us understand the inner child, Stephanie uses the concepts of the shadow child, which is our negative beliefs and emotions, and our sun child, our more positive beliefs. Stephanie's work really helps you acquire useful new techniques on how we can differentiate between the child within and our adult selves. I wanted to speak to Stephanie because inner child work and shadow work has been the most profound and transformational in my own journey of self-development. I'm a massive advocate for it. And I truly believe that during our Saturn return, it is such powerful work because it's when we initiate into adulthood. So we have that separation. We have that awareness over who we're becoming and who we used to be. We jump straight in, discussing why our emotions can be so powerful and hard to deal with, something I have found personally rather challenging. So before we get into this wonderful episode with Stephanie, let's check in with our astrological guide, Nora. Saturn return isn't challenging just because Saturn returns. It's challenging because the nature of Saturn is quietly confronting and we may not always be as ready to realize just how much wounding we need to soothe and heal before we're able to repair into child within. Saturn deals justly and very firmly and it keeps us very focused on the material world as we're navigating Saturn return. It reminds us of our mortality and of our fear, whereas the moon in astrology reminds us of our vulnerability and unfulfilled emotional needs dating all the way back to childhood. The moon is connected to our progressed lunar return. This is the astrological phenomenon that precedes Saturn return at the age of 27. So it's this progressed lunar return that really launches us into our Saturn return by creating emotional space for the roller coaster ride that is, well, Saturn return. So connecting to the moon 
plays an important role in healing our inner child or understanding our inner child's needs. By understanding how the moon works in our birth chart, for example, it can reflect back to us what kind of mothering we need, what kind of nurturing we need in our most vulnerable states. And by connecting to the moon's cycles, we can do deep shadow work. We can tap into our inner shadow, into our inner lights, mirroring the moon's dark and bright phases. We can then listen to the silent whispers, to the overwhelmingly loud cries we have buried deep down in our psyche. This in itself is the heavy groundwork for healing that the progressed lunar return offers and that Saturn's return follows up on and materializes. Any strong emotions, whether they are negative or positive, block our rational thinking. Mm-hmm. Any. Also, being love or being very, very enthusiastic about anything, it blocks our rational thinking. That is by nature because in case that we have to save our lives, it's much more important to react very, very, very quickly. Yes, mm-hmm. by because we are, have the emotion of fear, to run away in front of a snake, then to overthink, is it really a snake or maybe it's something else, you know, pondering whether it's a snake or not that can cost your life. So the nature wants that we take our emotions very, very seriously. Mm. But in our modern life, that often doesn't make any sense. Because then the strong anxiety or if you're already desperate or panicky or or whatever, it's just a burden and doesn't lead to any clever solution. And therefore, it's very important that you detect your emotions in an early state. Okay. So the earlier you detect that you're going to get into the state, the better the chances are that you can regulate your emotions. When you're emotions are already too strong Mm. you you don't have a chance anymore to regulate them and the more aware you are of your own patterns of your own triggers the easier you will detect yourself the issue for lack of a better word that i have with the um being able to notice very quickly when we are responding from that place is often, I think, especially in the Western world that we live in, we are very disconnected from our bodies. We're very up in our head. I I find myself often struggling to regulate my nervous system when I am, when something has triggered me. And then it's hijacked by an emotion. And to, to be able to pinpoint before that's happened or to stop that happening sometimes feels almost impossible. Is that just because I'm so used to that being the pathway and to rechannel it just takes practice? First of all, you're right. Many people have hard times to get connected to their emotions. And that is due to the circumstance that many people are over-adapted. And that is a strategy from childhood because if the parents are, for whatever reasons, not capable or not able to meet their children's need for love and attachment and autonomy on the other hand side, then the child takes responsibility to get along with his parents. That means the child tries to meet the expectation of his parents or his mother or whatever, Mm -hmm. its mother. And then this behavior pattern 
you take it into your adulthood and then you're used to look what other people do need. What do they expect from you? And you try to meet the expectation of others. And as long as you do this, you lose yourself a little bit because at the same time, you can't be connected with your own feelings. Either you are in the position of empathy, that means I try to feel with you and try to see what do you need now, what do you expect from me, or you're in the position to be uh, identified with your own feelings. So many people have hard times to feel their feelings mm -hmm. under the condition they are among other people because they are over-adapted. And only when they are alone, they can feel again what they want and what their feelings are are and for this reason they often figure out quite late that a certain thing somebody else said to him hurt themselves you know later three three hours later under the condition they are alone again then they suddenly feel oh that was not really nice what he said three hours ago what you're describing to me sounds a lot like something that i'm going to be quite gender specific that i would feel like women most women i speak to are the people that experience this is that they are people pleasers to the extent where they will yes, constantly yes. self-abandon in order yes. to create harmony around them at the cost of their own health happiness whatever yeah these uh, peacekeepers uh, perfectionists if you developed an inner belief like i'm not enough which is very very common very common i'm not enough i'm not important i'm not worth and so on then that shifts you into bad feelings and these bad feelings you don't want to feel all the time. And you don't have any interest that anybody else could figure out how not enough you are, <laughs> how not important you are. So the most people start within their childhood to develop certain self-protection strategies. And this peacekeeping and meeting everybody's expectations or striving for perfectionism are typical self-protection strategies to compensate these feelings of inferiority. Mm -hmm. But it becomes a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy because that affirmation that we are seeking outside of ourselves externally we, we may get it and then it, you know, momentarily makes us feel, oh, maybe I am worthy. And let's apply it to the context of a relationship. Like if you're at the early stages of dating someone, but you have, you know, a deep feeling of unworthiness within yourself. But that person, when they, you know, message you or respond to you, you feel OK. But your deep fear is that they will also deem you as unworthy. So then consequently, when they move away or the relationship ends or it doesn't work out, we are left with that overwhelming wound that was already there to begin with and is actually very little to do with that other person, but we just put it all on them and make it seem like that situation is responsible for how we, we feel. Whereas, you know, what you're explaining is it's a lot deeper than that and it's a lot more of an original wound. That is one very, very important aspect you just mentioned. But there's another very interesting aspect that is not so known by many people that some people stick to their low self-esteem to protect their relationship. So, for example, you are in a bad, let's say, toxic relation. And as long as you stick to the idea, it's my fault, I'm guilty that the other person behaves so badly towards me, 
then it has two advantages for you. The first one is you can still stick to the person because you are guilty. If you were better, the other person would behave otherwise. So you have a yeah pretext not to separate because your fear, your fear of loss and your separation anxiety is much, much higher than a bad feeling to keep on going with the same person. So mm -hmm. if you blame yourself, you have a pretext to stay with the other person. And apart from that, it gives you a feeling of control mm. because under the condition that you become better in any way, you could save this relationship yes, and, and, and lead it towards a happy end. But if you would admit to yourself that you have no control at all and the other person is really the wrongdoer, who is not reliable, who is lying, who is uh, cheating and whatever, then you ha would have to suffer your full helplessness. Mm. Yeah, your helplessness and your lack of power, and you would have to come to the conclusion that you have to separate. Yeah. But if your separation anxiety is so high, you do everything to somehow to, to idealize, idealize the other person and to downgrade yourself. Yeah, and also I, I think as well, there's a liberation in, in the separation, in the act that you're talking about but to get to that point we have to relinquish control which so many of us don't want to do whether it's on a conscious level or not but even deeper than that it means dismantling belief systems that we've had our entire lives absolutely and therefore in my approach i added the sunshine to it because it's so hard to let go of something if you don't have anything else to replace it mm. If you identify to your shadow child because that is your construction of re reality and you want to change that, it's easier, it's much easier if you have a clear vision of your new and authentic self, of your real self, and that is embodied, in my approach, in the sun child. I definitely connect to this thing of if I speak my truth and it's uncomfortable for someone, they might run and therefore you know, I'll try and maintain that things are good and mm. be a certain version of myself to protect that connection. Yeah, but at the end, you don't protect it. No, I know. Because if you keep it with yourself, you get more and more angry with the other person. And you know, yourself. The other person becomes more and more, in your eyes, an enemy mm. and not a fellow human being. Mm -hmm. And then you withdraw without saying a bad word, you know? Yeah. Or at the very, very end of the relationship, you tell him, well, this and this and this happened, yeah. you know? And because you have a very, very good memory, you can trace it back to 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah? Me and my brother always say this, that it's so, yeah, you are, you are holding on to the ammunition and you're building it up over yeah. time. And then, like, you know, they drop a plate and it's like... Yeah. <laughs> and you did this five years ago and you did that last week yeah. and they're like whoa where did this come from <laughs> exactly exactly and look the question is whether this is really fair no so fairness as a higher value mm. can help you tremendously to overcome your fear 
of yourself. You know, this egocentric fear of being rejected because actually you don't protect the other person because you don't want to hurt him or her, but you protect yourself. So this self-protection strategy is, in the end, it's quite egocentric because you want to protect yourself of being rejected. Mm. But what you do in the end, and that happens so often in psychology and with self-protection strategies, you are the one who is rejecting the other person. Mm. Because in the end of this relationship, you stored so much passive aggression within yourself, you know, this cold anger, that all your feelings for the other person are really extinguished. There's no more feeling. And the only way to get out is then to, to break up. And if the other person is lucky, at the end he gets a long, long, you know, um, invoice, long invoice. Of all the wrongdoings. All your crimes, you know. <laughs> should we say <laughs> then the other one says why didn't you say earlier anywhere why didn't you tell it to me i could have changed it so easily why didn't you say never spoke up and then the uh, peacekeeper says well i told you sometimes something and what the peacekeeper means by that is that sometimes he said Peep. then the peacekeeper uh, withdraws again and start sulking because he thinks what he always knew, oh, nobody's listened to me. My wishes are not important. What I say is not important mm. because they're not able to assert themselves in a certain way, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. If you speak up and you say what you want and what you don't want, you cannot expect in the same time that everybody agrees with you. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, this this... This brings me on to something quite naturally, which is, I think, one, we're not often taught how to navigate or handle conflict. And also what I wanted to discuss with you a little bit that applies to this conversation is boundaries. How do you advise people to navigate conflict and to set boundaries? First of all, the fantasy about conflict is way way too high in people's mind. They think it would be a conflict, and often there is no conflict at all. Mm. You know, if you just say in a friendly way, and I always say no information gets lost if you say it in a friendly manner. Mm. You know, because conflict-shy people often wait so long until their anger is stronger than their fear, And then they really have an outburst, you know, outburst of anger or something like that, yeah. that, which is also not very fair. But the sooner you say something, the easier you can say it in a friendly way. Very, very often, that's what all my clients tell me, they are really surprised that the other person just says, yeah, okay, no problem. And that's totally. it. There's no conflict. And the other person often is not hurt, yeah. but just relieved and happy because... The clearer you are, the easier you are to grasp, you know. People can see where you stand. For example, I also have more than one time suffered from the situation that somebody withdrew from me. And until today, I don't know what did I do wrong. And I, I don't think that's very fair. 
And I do think that we, you know, consciously or otherwise use that as a punishment. We withdraw, we go silent, we sulk. I mean, I'm, mm. I'm definitely guilty of all of the above. And it's not really fair because you're not giving the relationship a chance to heal. Okay. The more aware you are of your shadow child feeling, the earlier, in the, in the earlier state, you can catch yourself so that the emotion is not so strong already. The first step was you have to know your shadow child. And then I invented a little intervention that I call catch yourself and switch. That is the only uh, magic or the only, um, how you say, the only uh, secret about it. Just catch yourself in an early state. Don't wait so long until you're completely desperated or in a panic attack or, you know, completely out of your head. So the more aware you are in your daily life of your shadow child, the earlier you can catch yourself in the earlier state. And then you switch to your adult eye, you know, switch the position, go into the observer position, and from there you can regulate yourself. Mm -hmm. And this little exercise is really, really well validated because millions of readers have been exercising it. And so many people tell me only with this exercise they could change so many things in their lives because the more often you catch yourself and switch, the less often your shadow child shows off, you know, because you train your brain, you make new neural pathways. Of course, I have many more exercises in my book, but this is a core exercise. Diagnose your own shadow child, then be aware in your daily life, and as soon as the shadow child shows up, you catch yourself and switch. So, for example, you are in a meeting with your colleagues and a team and you want to say something, but then suddenly you think, oh, am I smart enough? Is this important what I have to say? Oh, my shadow child, you know, mm -hmm. things again, I'm not important, I'm not smart enough. So you catch yourself immediately, then switch to the adult eye, come on. And then you can, of course, you can comfort your shadow child, comfort it in a loving way. Oh, little shadow child, I know it wasn't that easy with mommy, daddy back then but today we are adults and of course you are smart you achieved so many things in life mm -hmm. and of course your ideas are important come on i adult steffi star i speak up for us both and then you know you have the courage and you tell your idea and what what you think your your ideas in this team meeting mm -hmm. you know that is the yeah. beauty of catch yourself and switch it's in fact it's very easy but it's very very powerful yeah i think it is incredibly powerful and it's very liberating and empowering to be able to have that awareness of both and i think it's important just to add as a caveat here that it's not that we aren't acknowledging or that we're suppressing the emotions that are coming up or that we are experiencing or trying to like bottle them because it's the child version of us it's like fully acknowledging that but having the awareness and the space and separation to know that that is not coming from your adult self and I think the more that we get into that rhythm the more of a sense we have for our own autonomy as well absolutely because the more authentic you are and that is all about that you connect to your feelings and that you allow yourself your feelings, but you're still able to regulate them. Mm. You know, that is very, very important that you're able to regulate your feelings. And the more you can 
stand up for yourself, the more authentic you are and the more autonomous you are. Absolutely. Okay, so can you tell me what the sun child represents? Yes, the sun child is the clear target vision, you know, the, the vision of your authentic self. So in the sun child, we turn our negative core beliefs into positive beliefs. They have to be realistic. They have to be positive. So I'm able to set boundaries or I'm allowed to set boundaries is a very healthy counter-belief to I'm guilty. Mm -hmm. And the third thing, the new belief should be your inner adult should agree to your new belief. Mm. At least the inner adult, not already the feeling. That is the question of training, you know, that you that with the time you also feel your new belief. But at least you're in our dark. That means your rational thinking should agree to the new belief. So if a new belief like I'm enough sounds too much even for your inner adult, you could shape it like I'm enough for my children or I'm enough for my friends. Mm. So yeah. you have to agree to the new belief. I think this is really important, especially in, in this space, because there is a lot of spiritual bypassing and this sort of look in the mirror and tell yourself that you're a queen and you're beautiful which is wonderful no, if you believe work. them but if you don't it's redundant that will never work and i'm really not a fan of this toxic positivity no neither am i but the sunshine doesn't finish with his new beliefs they are also the strength and no, most importantly you draw it again you make a most beautiful picture of your sunshine that's the beauty of this approach. You have it really on paper, and that is so much different mm. than just thinking about it or just feeling about it, you know? So you draw a beautiful picture, you know, fancy, with colorful, and then you create your new beliefs. And in the arm of your sunshine, of your happy little sunshine, you put down your strength, mm. you know? You're a person of strength. And then you gather and put them around the sun child, your personal resources. Resources are, for example, I have a beautiful home or music or my religion or my friends or I have enough money and so on. So you have personal resources. And then, very important, you uh, look for yourself reflection strategies so we come from self-protection strategies to self-reflection strategies to which healthy behavior with which you unburden yourself and you unburden your relationships so instead of withdrawing and sulking your self-reflection strategy could be I connect to my feelings because that is the important first step. If you want to say what you want, you, in the first step, you have to know what you want. You have to know what you want. And over-adept people already struggle with this. They often say about themselves, I even often don't know what I want. Mm -hmm. So I connect to my feelings. I pay more attention to them. I'm being aware to my feelings as a self-reflection strategy. And the next self-reflection strategy would be, and I speak out in friendly words what I want, what I feel, and what I don't want. Yes, I open up in a friendly way, in a respectful way to the other person. That could be another self-reflection strategy. Another one could be for this peacekeeping issue, I'm training myself in 
arguments. Mm. By arguments, I mean not arguing, not fighting, but having reasonable arguments because people who are trying to keep the peace have a lack of training in argumentation. And you can train this. You just imagine a situation that you encountered and where you kept quiet, and then you try to think while maybe driving a car or doing your housework or whatever, or you just sit down and think, uh, what good arguments could I have presented to the other person? So you're trying really to strengthen your rational thinking by using arguments, because arguments are the bridge to assertiveness. Mm. You need some arguments to have a stable ground under your feet. What about in terms of setting a boundary or when our boundaries are being crossed? It would be easier to explain this issue. Maybe had a simple, concrete situation. Okay, I'll, I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you one that I'm actually okay. that I'm experiencing at the moment, which is someone that's messaging me at sort of like five thirty in the morning and sending voice notes and like offloading a lot more than I think is healthy or and it's deeply affecting me and yet I don't I find myself in a position of constantly wanting to like mediate because that was always my dynamic in the home I think I had quite like a fiery family and I was always quite a quiet one so it was always like okay keep the peace keep the peace keep the peace okay now you are identified now you're in the first position of perception you're identified with your shadow child as you are talking with me about the situation, mm -hmm. yes? So now you catch yourself and you switch into your adult eyes. Mm -hmm. So you switch now to your seat of reason. You get into the observer position and imagine you would be a judge. What advice would you give to yourself? Well, I think I'd probably give the advice that we've just talked, which is handle it amicably. But... I guess the thing is being able to, how you communicate the boundaries within that, you know? You know, keep to your role from the outside, from the observer position. You're a neutral coach. You can even imagine this woman would be a different one, not yourself, but any yeah. woman who has this problem. What would you, what, what advice would you give to her? Well, I would say, if it wasn't me, that the person I'd be like, you're within your rights to say, do you mind not messaging me from 5.30 in the morning? But because it's me, I'm like, don't Now you're it. identified again. Now you switch <laughs> again, you know? Now stay in the observer position. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And that's where there's what I just uh, said about arguments. Mm. It could straighten your backbone immensely if you started thinking arguments what rights are on your side or what rights are on his side to message you all the time so now this strategy of train yourself in arguments come into the play to strengthen your adult eye mm. so to just give you a little help from the observer position you could send him a friendly text message that you're not an early bird and that you would love to work it out with him in a friendly way. And if you just can't make an appointment for a call or for a meeting or for whatever, 
yeah, just one one appointment, and then we can work it out all together. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty healthy solution. Yeah. And I think I'm really sure, but we don't have the time here. If you had a little bit longer time, you would have come to this solution by yourself. <laughs> I don't know. Thanks for the I'm vote sure. of confidence. I'm sure. <laughs> I don't know whether I would. And the more and the longer you train yourself within argumentation, the sooner and the easier you will come to these solutions by yourself. Which is essentially operating from a more pragmatic perspective right because I think I am someone historically let's say it's going to be something that I'm going to work on I operate from a a very feeling place you know from emotions and I actually remember my mum said to me not that long ago like you can't always decide based off your emotions I was like "What what other way would there be so it's kind of a new practice for me to be the observer in these things and in a in a weird way it sort of feels less romantic less exciting less exhilarating that comes to the next issue and that is a question i often ask my clients what advantage do you have to keep to your old pattern and that's your answer oh it's so dramatic it's more exciting <laughs> I love to be so emotional. (laughs) Yeah. The um, thing you need to learn is to regulate your emotion before it gets too strong. And with these exercises that are concerning more your your reason, your rational thinking, you can handle Mm -hmm. better, much better, your anxieties. Uh. I am aware that I've taken up quite a lot of your time, but quickly before we go, what about autonomy from our parents? Because what I notice, and it's I always have this kind of idea of someone that's super successful, that like has loads of friends, that's very, you know, doing well in their career, and they are confident and all the things, and then they go and have Christmas with their family. And their father or their mother says something that sets them off and suddenly, bam, they're right back in that space. And I don't think people realize it, but so often we're constantly seeking that validation from our parents. A lot of what we actually do in our careers and our relationships and the things that we acquire are because we want mum or dad's approval that we are good enough. So I wanted to touch on with you before we go is, is how to have the awareness and separation from that part of us that's being overly activated so it's not the driving force for our life yeah some i don't know who said this was some monk he said if you think you're enlightened just go back and live one week again with your family Or as I like to think, get get in a relationship. Whenever I think I've done so much work on myself and then I start dating again, I'm like, and I've got a lot more to do. <laughs> yes. And I think the key word here is the mirrored self-esteem. Mirrored. The mirrored self-esteem. That means we learn our self-esteem by our parents. They mirror us, whether we are welcomed, whether they... They are happy that we are there. You know, when mommy takes her little baby, oh, and she smiles, and then the baby feels 
old body. Oh, she loves me and she loves to care for me and she's so happy that I'm here. That's the way we learn our self-esteem, by the mirror of our parents and by the mirror of other people. Mm. So that this is a, such a deep-rooted imprint. And since our parents are such an important bond to us, it's so important to everybody because they are our first and deepest love, of course, we care lifelong about what they're thinking about us. And I think if you have parents who, for whatever reasons, have difficulties to acknowledge you, mm -hmm. for whatever reason, because maybe they have, uh, they're suffering from narcissism or they have attachment problems for themselves or whatever, just be aware and go out consciously with your full consciousness out of this conditioning of the mirrored self-esteem. Mm -hmm. You know, make yourself absolutely clear that they are not able to recognize or acknowledge what you're doing in life or acknowledge your person. Doesn't say anything, nothing about you and your worth, but only about the lack of ability on, on the side of your parents. So put it on the side to your parents. It belongs to them and don't take it to your side. Mm. Because that's what we always do. Yeah. We take things on our side which actually don't belong to us. And I think the whole thing of this enmeshment in relationships is that you have to distinguish what is my share? Mm -hmm. Where do I have to take responsibility? What is my share that this relationship is difficult? And what share belongs to the other person? And then just... Sort it out. Take your share that you're responsible for and give the share for the other person. Give it to him back in your mind, you know. So give your parents back their at least partial, at least partial inability to acknowledge you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. I found this conversation so fascinating this idea that we have these internal belief systems that we pick up from a young age about our self-worth that then end up informing and determining how we show up as adults even if our reality is vastly different you know our patterns of behavior are hard to undo but they are patterns so just as much as they were created they can be uncreated it just takes awareness, self-reflection, and discipline. I think some of the takeaways, and there were many, is to be able to have the perception and to catch and switch. So when we find ourselves spiraling or being triggered, to just create enough space and to breathe and to be able to do something differently. And by doing this, we create a new neural pathway, a new pattern, if you will, of behavior, and also a new belief system. I also found what she spoke about, the fear of rejection being egocentric. Interesting, you know, the idea that we can become more fair, more aware of other people's feelings and making them as important as our own because I do think we can all be guilty of being a little bit egocentric from time to time. I hope you found this episode interesting and informative. I absolutely loved it. 
And you can find more about Stephanie and her work on her website, stephaniestyle.com. That's Stephanie with an F and style spelt S-T-A-H-L. You can follow our astrological guide, Nora, on Instagram at starsincline. And you can also follow me at Kaggy's World. And you can follow the podcast at Saturn Returns Co. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you could share it with a friend who you think might find it useful or follow the show and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Saturn Returns is a Feast Collective production. The producer is Hannah Varrell and the executive producer is Kate Taylor. Thank you so very much for listening and remember, you are not alone. Goodbye. <laughs>